Welcome to Vitverse Byte, a weekly podcast about the web industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. I'm Adam Listick, a web developer out of Central Illinois and Northern California. And today's topic is caching. So as a web developer, you've no doubt had to encounter the use of caching to help generate your content faster um, or more to the point to avoid having to generate your content. Uh, What this can do for you is that instead of a client having to, you know, load up your page on your website and then, you know, have to regenerate that every single time, you know, this will allow you to serve up basically a saved copy and, you know, it sometimes, you know, full-on HTML pages uh, or the generated content thereof. Um, or sometimes there'll be, you know, static content or database and um, application-level type caching. So the downside of it is, and it's not really downside, it's just a, you know, a difficulty, is that it can be a real challenge sometimes to either troubleshoot when and where the content is either incorrectly being generated or being saved, especially when it comes to development. Um, If you are, you know, rapidly iterating on a product, it can be a real challenge to sometimes remove all of the caching just so you can, you know, to to see your changes faster. Um, And then the other side of that is when you are ready to deploy to production, well, part of the problem with that is if you've got a real heavy caching infrastructure, it can be a challenge to invalidate the cache to a point where, you know, it will then be able to be more readily served up to your, you know, customers or the clients making it to the site. So today we're going to kind of talk about the different types of caching, um, some of the aspects of them, and, you know, some of the difficulties you might see with that. So the first one that kind of everyone knows, um, or at least has encountered more readily, is browser caching. So what this is, is just your browser, be it Chrome or Firefox or IE or Safari, and when it downloads content from a server, it will save some of that content for a specified length of time. You know, if it's the page itself, um, it usually doesn't do that. But for static content such as uh, CSS files or JavaScript files or images and those types of things, it will save it in, you know, a browser side cache or on your local machine. This just means that every time you're going to the site, you know, it's not going to reload or have to re-download the content. Um, For the most part, it is respecting the cache control headers. You know, prior to cache control really being introduced, uh, you would see expires headers put on everything, and which they're still valid, but with cache control, you have a lot more uh, options and a lot more you can do with it. Um, the primary three that, you know, seem to work the most, or at least give you the most bang for your buck, is uh, the max age must revalidate in public. And what this really means is that you know, with max age, you're essentially giving it a specified, you know, amount of time, you know, say 3,600 seconds. Uh, and your browser and proxies that might see that will 
respect it and will recheck for the resource after it's done. Um, must revalidate means that you know if a proxy or you know the browser sees that it knows that given a new freshness tag of some sort it should check to make sure that um, it has a newer piece of content or at least redownload at that point and public really just means that anything can cache this so you know if you have a private page that's like password protected you wouldn't want to put the public tag on but for everything else and the vast majority of the time you do want public uh, one of the main suggestions too is to send uh, e-tag or last modified with and the main reason is so that you know proxies and browsers have some idea of when content is newer and this will help to allow you to also invalidate your content quicker because you can send updated tags and send that out and the server should invalidate or the browser or the you know proxies will invalidate and then you can update your content quicker you know one of the other things too that's kind of um, a good idea to send along with it is content length but I have found that this can be kind of a challenge to generate um, especially if you have dynamic content and it's not always known I mean your server should be able to do it um, but I found that sometimes it's not accurate uh, I don't know honestly how relevant um, or how important relevant might not be the word but how important it is uh, nowadays um, because it, traditionally it was you needed content length to to kind of do persistent connections or else the uh, client wouldn't really know when the content was done sending. So what you ended up having to do was make sure that the content link was correct so they could do the persistent connections. Uh, HTTP 1.1, when that came out, it introduced the idea of um, chunk transfer. And so this really was a, just a different way that the server could say, no, I've still got some more pieces to send. I'm going to try to send that across and you didn't necessarily have to generate the content length and you really don't know content length sometimes with streaming services I mean if you're streaming like real time there is no content length because you don't know when it will end so it's really just for use in existing content um, where you have a known quantity uh, it as I said it's not as important but if you can correctly generate it, it definitely makes a big difference. And you know, if, if others know more about this um, specifically, because I was having some trouble finding good information about nowadays how relevant it is. Uh, there was a lot around, you know, the 1.0 and 1.1 versions of, you know, which are still very relevant, but you know, with uh, HTTP 2.0 and those kind of things, what is the current best practices is something that um, definitely if someone else has some good ideas on, I'd be, you know, like to know. And I'm going to be doing some more research on this as well. I might do an, um, some, an episode later on about the kind of the smaller bits and the idi idiosyncrasies of kind of that caching model. Um, but moving on, uh, the next type of caching that comes up often, you know, it's kind of going, I'm almost working backwards right now. So instead of going from server to client, I'm going client to server. And what you'll see is edge or proxy caching. So a good example of this would be Cloudflare. 
you know, it's something I, it's a um, company I use a lot. They have a great free service for this. Um, and they do some kind of edge caching. A CDN or a content distribution or delivery network is also another good um, common proxy that does this. And what it really does is say, hey, I'm going to take, say, your image files or static files like that. I'm going to save them on you know, my server, on the proxy server, so not on your personal one, and serve up to clients from there instead of directly from the origin or your server. And what this often can do is, depending on you know, maybe their servers are faster, or really what it's better for is being more geographically distributed. So, you know, if you have someone going to your site in, say, China, and you are serving from the U.S., well, wouldn't it make more sense to have those more intense resources being served closer to them because of the latency and round-trip time is just so much less? And that's really what it's commonly used for. Um, you know, with Cloudflare, it really, by default in their free plan, it caches most image formats and some file types. Um, it can do HTML, like full page, but you you know you have to set page rules for it, and you only get three with the free plan, and I'm not sure what limitations exist on that. Um, and also, usually, though, unless you're serving up like a static type of website, you know, that doesn't really change much, isn't dynamically generated, then it doesn't make much sense to do that. Um, the default time that Cloudflare has uh, is four hours for the browser cache. Uh, now, if you have cache control headers that are being sent to Cloudflare, it will respect that if it's longer than the default four-hour time. I found, though, that if it's less, actually Cloudflare, Cloudflare will overwrite those headers, and it will send out uh, whatever is the greater of the two. Now, you can change that on the caching side if you set it to respect existing headers, and then it won't overwrite those headers. Um, kind of moving down is getting to, you know, the server caching. You know, and this is, this could mean a lot of different things, but I'll just hit on more or less the, you know, the web server side. So the two that come to mind are two that I'm most, most familiar with, though there are plenty of other ones. Um, so I use Nginx for serving up uh, content instead of Apache. Um, it has a concept of a microcache, and really all this means is that it will store the generated file of whatever is being sent to it in a like a on-disk HTML file and serve that up for a short amount of time. You know, and short being relative. I mean, it's whatever you configure it to be. Um, by default, I think they're well. I'm not actually sure what the default is, but the general idea is like 30 seconds rather than you know a four-hour time. So you're taking some of the load off the server in terms of doing that dynamic generation, but you're also making it where you can update and serve up content at a pretty regular basis, you know, especially if you have something that needs to generate or regenerate the content at a pretty regular basis. The, the upsides to using Nginx is that it's pretty easy configuration, um, and if you do add on, well, they're Premium product does have a purge module in it, um, but if you're using the free one, which a lot of folks do, 
and myself included, then there is a good third-party uh, cache purging module, but it can be a little tricky to install as you do need to either compile it and add it in or use one of the pre-configured or um, pre-created packages, which depending on what your needs are, might not be ideal. But with, with that, you can issue like a slash purge at the end of a URL and it will actually remove it from disk. Uh, so there's a couple ways, you know, depending on if you have a um, short enough cache time on there, then it might not even make much sense or be worth it, but you know, an idea or something that can be a big use. Another technology that I've used in the past and um, is similar is something called Varnish. So Varnish is a just pretty much a straight up caching proxy. And so, for example, you can put Varnish even in front of Nginx. And what it could do is Nginx will take care of the, you know, some of the routing and it will generate the file from, say, PHP, serve that to Varnish, which will then get stored in a memory cache and then served up. And it can have its own big set of rules. It does a number of things. One of the cool things it can do um, uh, some basically a director. Well, the term I think is like a VMOD director, but essentially what it does it say, hey, if uh, these servers are down, it'll do some load balancing. And so it can do some heartbeat detection and load balance between some Nginx. So for that purpose, it can be very good. Um, but it uses a lot of memory. Uh, it can be a bit of a challenge to configure if only because you know, you're adding yet another layer. It's got its own language, essentially, its own configuration language. So it's good, but it can be a challenge and yet another thing that can break sometimes. But it, I, I've used it, and it did work really well when I did. I've just since kind of moved to using Nginx microcaching by itself, and it's worked out really well. The other downside to it is it doesn't have HTTP 2.0 or SSL termination. Um, it's experimental right now in getting there. Well, I take that back. It might have SSL termination now, but the HTTP 2 support is still experimental. Um, and so that may be a make or break for some sites. just kind of depends. I mean, really, at this point, serving up on HTTP2 and SSL is kind of necessary, if only for speed and also for things such as Google, um, wanting to use that for metrics in terms of ranking your site. So it's kind of hard not to. Uh, two other things I want to touch on was application level touching. And this is such a broad subject that um, I'm only going to touch a little bit on the WordPress side since that's primarily where I'm you know, focused on. And, you know, and, and what this means is in WordPress, you have such things as super cache or bat cache. And really what they do is the same thing. They generate an HTML file. And instead of relying on a server-side technology such as Nginx or Varnish, it has PHP serve up that HTML file instead. So it's kind of like a pseudo server-side cache. It just It's a more flexible option sometimes if you aren't able to kind of control it more on the server side. Um, you know, and then there are some other plugins that have built-in caching, such as content caching, or WordPress itself has a bit of a caching mechanism with transients. And what that just really means is 
store this bit of you know information in the database for a set amount of time and then you know expire it uh, but it works well if you need to say pull a feed from another site and then you store it in the transient and so it's just not on every hit pulling that information and it can help a little bit and finally i just wanted to touch with database caching and really the main one for this is turning on the query cache for like MariaDB or MySQL. And that's, there's not a lot more to it. Like tuning it can be a challenge, but for the most part, just turning it on and setting it to appropriate values will help a lot. Uh, so at least at the um, setting or the large queries that you might have aren't constantly hitting the database, you know, database over and over again, and at least being served up a little bit quicker. So finally, that should cover most of the aspects. I mean, there's a lot more to talk about, but you know, I wanted to kind of hit the high level and little, some little aspects of it. Uh, but yeah, if you aren't using caching already, you know, highly recommend, well, I mean, you probably already extent, but highly recommend you looking into some more of what you can do with it. Uh, there's a lot of different layers and it's well worth kind of finding out what you can do because it will make the user experience far better in the long run. So follow this podcast on Twitter at bitvbyte and Facebook at slash bitvbyte. Uh, let me know what your experiences are with caching and what difficulties you might have seen. Uh, and thank you for listening, and I hope you join us next week.